Good evening, we're glad that you're here tonight. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, the first 11 verses in our study tonight. We appreciate so much you being here. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us. We're thankful, as I said this morning, for the great number of visitors that come our way on a weekly basis. We have a number of people that come that are looking for a church home, and we want to encourage you, if you are in that situation right now, looking for a place to worship and to work, we invite you to consider the work here at Olive Branch. We would love to have you come and join hands with us. And as I say from time to time, I know that the elders would be more than happy to meet with you, to answer any questions that you have, and I think it's good to have the opportunity to sit down and to ask questions, to find out about the work, and I think it makes you feel more comfortable and certainly it will give you insight into the direction of the church here and the opportunities for service. We're going to be looking tonight at the fifth chapter of the book of Luke. And we want to think about the theme, the fisherman who became a fisher of men. I'm talking about Peter. There are a lot of great characters in the New Testament. And the Apostle Peter is probably one of the most prominent and popular characters that we read about in the scriptures. Many of us can identify with Peter. Peter, as good as he was, was frail. He had his faults. He made mistakes. And yet, he had a good heart. He wanted to do what was right. And tonight, as we look at chapter 5, we're going to see the Lord encouraging him along with his companions to become his disciples and to later become fishers of men. And so let's look at Luke chapter 5. I want to begin tonight by talking for a minute or two about the command to Peter. The command to Peter could be summed up in the words of our Lord. When he said in verse 4, launch out into the deep. There are really two things that I would share with you along these lines. First of all, note if you would what the Lord had to say to the multitude. In verse 1, the Bible says in chapter 5, Now it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Genezaret, or the lake of Tiberias, and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. It seems to me that wherever Jesus went, great multitudes thronged to him. Jesus had a magnetic personality. And no doubt many people wanted the opportunity to be in his presence. They wanted to sit at his feet. They looked forward to the opportunity to hear what he had to say. Now, Jesus on this occasion used a boat as a pulpit to teach the multitudes. We're not told exactly what he said on this, on this occasion. Jewish teachers oftentimes would sit down 
to teach the people. A good example of this would be Jesus sitting as he spoke what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. But here's Jesus teaching the multitudes. And I think it suggests unto us that there was interest in the Lord. It's hard to do anything with people if there is not an innate interest in the subject matter. Here were people that were interested in the Lord and also interested in his message. Now there were occasions when Jesus taught, when he said certain things, and it may have been that people were interested, but after what they heard, they became disinterested. An example of that would be John chapter 6, when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life. John tells us that many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. And the reason they said this is a hard saying, who can hear it or who can accept it? But then I want you to note what the Lord had to say to the man. And specifically we're talking about Peter. Now I believe that Peter and Andrew, James and John were present on this occasion. They were partners together. They were fishermen. But look if you would at what is said in verse 4. When Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So here is Jesus giving very specific instructions to the apostle Peter. Now, hold that thought and consider with me, if you would, the compliance of Peter. And I think the compliance of Peter is summed up in his words at your word. So, having said that, when we look at verse 5, there is the honesty of Peter. In other words, his feelings on the matter. So listen to what Peter said. Master, teacher, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Now, just pause here with me for a minute. By occupation, Peter was a fisherman. They had spent the night, apparently, doing what? Fishing. They had spent the night fishing. Now they're probably cleaning their gear after a night of work. They haven't caught a thing. And here's Jesus saying, Peter, here's what I want you to do. Launch out into the deep and let down your nets. For what? For a catch. Now, Peter is an experienced fisherman. We're talking to somebody that's not wet behind the ears. He's not, he's not green. This guy, this is his trade. He has had no results. And Jesus is saying, what I want you to do, I want you to launch out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. So, let's notice what occurs. We talk about the honesty of Peter. But then consider, if you would, the humility of Peter. Peter said, Master, we've taught all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. Here we have his faith in the matter. Faith must always trump feelings. There are a lot of things that from a human vantage point 
I may not understand. I may express my feelings on the matter. But what is required, not feelings, but faith. Let me give you an example. I want to give you an Old Testament example, and then I want to give you a New Testament example. Because I think what, what Peter said here is extremely important. Peter has voiced, he's voiced his feelings on the matter. He said, look, Lord, we have toiled all night and we have not caught a thing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. So, Numbers chapter 21. In the 21st chapter of the book of Numbers, there is the account of the children of Israel. And the Bible tells us that the children of Israel were murmuring or complaining. They questioned why Moses and God had brought them out of Egypt to die. The Bible tells us that they loathed the food that God had given unto them. So, here's what God did. He sent fiery serpents among the people. And Moses said in Numbers chapter 21 that many of the people were bitten by those fiery serpents and died. So what did they do? The children of Israel began to cry out to Moses and the Lord. They acknowledged their sin. They wanted relief. So God said to Moses, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole. And it shall be that whoever is bitten, when he looks at it, will live. So what did Moses do? He made a serpent of brass. And it came to pass that whenever someone was bitten, when they looked at that pole, they lived. What's, what's the application there? Think about this for a minute. The children of Israel are dying. They're in the wilderness. They're being bitten by fiery serpents. They cry out to God for deliverance. And God tells Moses, all right, Moses, here's how I want you to handle this matter. I want you to make this serpent of brass or this fiery serpent, put it on a pole, and then when people are bitten and they look at that serpent, they will live. What medicinal purposes are in a fiery serpent of brass, a brass pole? I mean, medically speaking, what's the correlation? There is no correlation. God simply said, if you are bitten, you have to have enough faith to look at that serpent of brass, and when you do, you will live. What does that require? Number one, it requires faith. Number two, it requires obedience. Faith and obedience go hand in hand. Somebody might have said, I don't understand that. All right, you don't understand it? You don't obey it? Guess what? You'll die in the wilderness. You see, we have to be willing to take God at his word. The Hebrew writer said, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen as yet. 
Faith demands that we take what God says and do it. I want to give you a New Testament example. In Mark chapter 16, verse 16, Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned. Now I want to ask you this question. What in the world is the correlation between baptism in water and salvation? What's the correlation? I mean, from a human vantage point, we think about here is the command of God. God said, I want you to be baptized in water and you'll be saved. Somebody says, I don't understand it. It takes faith and obedience. You may not see the correlation, but God said, this is what I want you to do. Do it and you will live. You don't do it, you won't live. Why do we need to be baptized into Christ? Because that's where the blood of Christ is. We contact the blood of Christ through baptism. You see, salvation is in Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Paul said, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why then be baptized? Because... Baptism is what washes away our sins. Again, somebody says, well, I don't see the correlation. Look, when God says to do something, he's not looking for us to quibble about it. As a matter of fact, it brooks no argumentation at all. We're not to question what God requires of us. We are simply to do it. So under the old covenant, you had this serpent of brass. The people looked at it, they lived. In the New Testament, God said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to be baptized, and then you'll be saved. Here's the question. Are we willing to do it? Listen again to Peter. Peter said, at your word, whatever God says, we have to have the faith, the humility, the wherewithal to do it. Here's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to be well-pleasing to him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, what's the Lord looking for? Faith. Read Hebrews chapter 11. Over and over again, what do you read about? You read about men and women who live by faith and obedience. In the Old Testament, faith and obedience always led to victory. In the New Testament, faith and obedience lead to what? Blessings. Victorious living. Now, look if you would at verse 6. Luke said, when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. I think the apostle Peter acknowledged his sinfulness because there was initially hesitancy on his part. When you you look at the the conversation that took place, 
You can just hear the apostle Peter saying, Lord, we've been toiling all night. We've not caught a thing. Jesus had just said, launch out into the deep. And yet, when Peter complied with the will of Almighty God, what happened? Caught a lot of fish. Verse 9 says, For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So, there, there was compliance on the part of the apostle Peter. But then there's a third thing that I want you to see, and that is the commissioning of Peter. And that's really summed up in the words of Jesus. From now on, you will catch men. Let's first of all talk about the career change. What was Peter? He was a fisherman. What about Andrew, James, and John? What were they? They were fishermen. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. Now, if you read Matthew's account, Matthew talks in more detail about the others who were with Peter. But here were men that were by trade fishermen. And Jesus takes these men that have a rock-solid occupation. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, I want to I I suggest this. God can take us wherever we are in life, whatever our background, our, 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 our educational background, and a number of other things that, that might go into that. He can take us and use us for his good and his glory. Look at these men. Look at Peter. Peter was a fisherman. The Lord took a man that had no formal education and he made something out of him. God can take you wherever you are in this life, whatever occupation you may be involved in, whatever your trade, whatever your profession, whatever your educational background, whatever your racial background may be, God can take you and mold you and make you into something useful for his glory. Now, what's that, what's that going to require? It's going to require, on my part, yielding to his will. It's going to take me seeing myself as a vessel in the kingdom of God and saying, all right, Lord, here's my life. Take it. Use it. Use me in your service, however you see best. Is that not what the Lord did with Peter? Is that not also what he did with Andrew, James, and John? He took these guys and he made something out of them. God can take you wherever you are in this life, whatever you're doing, and he can make something out of you for his glory. You don't have to be a full-time preacher. You don't have to be a full-time missionary. You can use the skills that you have 
to reach out and tell other people about Jesus. Now, I want you to think for just a minute about the commitment that was involved. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. First of all, what did they do? They forsook all. Is it the case that we are not used to greater heights of service in the kingdom of God because we have not forsaken all? Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24? If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Peter, on one occasion in Luke chapter 18, said to Jesus, Lord, we have left all and followed you. And I think really what Peter was saying is, Lord, what's in this thing for us? Jesus said, there's no man that has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake that shall not receive many times more in this present age and in the age to come everlasting life. Are there intrinsic blessings associated with Christian living here on planet earth? You better believe there are. There are blessings to be enjoyed now and there are blessings to be enjoyed in eternity. The problem with many of us is we're looking at things through carnal eyes. We are looking at things from a human vantage point. Do you remember what I said just a minute ago about the Apostle Peter? We have, first of all, in this context, his feelings on the matter and then his faith in the matter. Sometimes, we allow feelings to trump faith. It needs to be reversed. We have to be willing to forsake all to follow Jesus. We sing a song from time to time. I surrender all, all to Jesus, I surrender. I want to make this observation. If we as members of the church genuinely surrendered all, I'm talking about every member of the body of Christ, black, white, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, whatever a person's background, if every one of us truly, genuinely surrendered all, don't you think we would turn the world upside down? Don't you think we would be making a viable difference in the world in which we're living? Do you know why we haven't turned the world upside down? Because we haven't forsaken all. Now, look at the latter part of verse 11. Number one, they forsook all. He forsook all. And number two, they followed him, or in this case, Peter followed him. What is entailed in following Jesus? You ever thought about that? What are the nuts and bolts of following Jesus Christ? Let me just give you some some of the components. Number one, if we're going to genuinely follow the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to listen to him. Look again at what Jesus said, verse four, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. If we're going to be what God would have us to be, we have to be willing to listen to the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? 
we listen to what he says through his word. Jesus, on one occasion, asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Are we listening? Are we listening to the voice of Jesus through scripture? Are we willing to do what he says even when it's difficult? Number two, we must love him supremely. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked the question, what's the great commandment in the law? And the reply was, we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Jesus said, this is the first and great commandment. I want to ask you this question. Do you love Jesus Christ with all of your heart, soul, and mind? With every ounce of fiber within you, do you really love him? Do you love him enough to obey him, to do what he says? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we have to listen to him. And number two, we have to love him. And then there is a third thing. We have to be willing to live for him. When Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he said that those of us who belong to the body of Christ are to set our minds, to set our affections on things above and not on things which are upon this earth. In verse 4 he said, For Christ who is our life. A moment ago I asked the question about forsaking all, surrendering all. Is Jesus your life? I didn't ask you, is he a part of your life? I want to know, is he your life? Is he what your life is all about? Our lives as Christians ought to revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything that we say, everything that we do ought to revolve around him. Why is that? Because he accepts nothing less. Jesus demands that we put him first, which I think suggests another point. And that is there has to be loyalty, allegiance to Jesus. Jesus said, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. That means before anything else. I want to ask you about your to-do list. We talk about things that we have to do in life. What is number one on your to-do list? What's the most important thing in your life? Is it your job? Is it your family? Is it your recreation? Does it have to do with your hobbies? What's number one in your life? Jesus said what ought to be number one, the kingdom. Life ought to revolve around the kingdom. So that's why Paul said, for Christ who is our life. And I think when you look at the life of the apostle Paul and the lives of Peter, James, John, and Andrew, you see men whose lives were consecrated to the Lord. And then there is another thing that I would suggest. If we listen to the Lord Jesus and we love him, if we 
live for him day in and day out, if we are loyal to him, here's what we're going to do. We are going to be willing to lead others to him because that's what it's all about, is it not? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. What is it that the Lord wants me to become in this life? He wants me to be a soul winner. He wants me to share this message with other people. Look at Peter. This guy was a fisherman and God took him and made him a fisher of men. If God could take a man like Peter or Andrew or James or John and he could make something out of them and they could go out and literally turn the world upside down, what can he do with us? The only thing holding the Lord back is us. Are we willing to be used in his service? Now I want to just say something about leading people to Jesus. The process of leading people to Jesus I think entails that number one, we live a Christian life before other people. In other, in other words, we exemplify the virtues of Christianity. Jesus said that we are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. I think that when people see us, they ought to see Christ living in us, as Paul would say. As Paul would also say to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, we ought to be an example to the world of New Testament Christianity. When they see us, at school, on the job, on the ball field, on the golf course, wherever we may be, what they ought to see is a model of Christianity. But then number two, we've got to take it beyond just setting the right example. Faith is born by what? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If we're going to lead people to Jesus Christ, if we, like Peter, are going to become a fisher of men, if we're going to be out bringing people to the Lord, it's going to require that I know what this book says. I have to understand the contents of Scripture. Peter said, sanctify the Lord God in your heart always. And be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. So I have, to number, I have to, first and foremost, number one, I have to understand what this book teaches. And then I have to be able to impart that to others. In Bible class, I mentioned this morning that there are a lot of people in our world today that if you were to talk to them about what the Bible teaches in the moral realm, they, they don't understand that there are some things that are deemed by Scripture as sinful. An example of that would be look at the, look at the number of couples 
in our nation that are cohabitating without marriage. There are a lot of there are a lot of young people that are living together. There are a lot of older people, more mature people that are living together without this piece of paper that we call a marriage license or marriage certificate. They're good people. They're law-abiding, tax-paying people. They try to treat other people right. They're benevolent. They're generous. They have a lot of good qualities. But they don't know that living together and engaging in fornication, unlawful sexual intercourse, they do not know that that's wrong. So let me ask this question. Who's going to have to tell them? And then here's another question. Let, let's just say that we're sitting down talking to a couple about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's a couple, they seem interested. And we, we as Paul would say, we speak the truth in love. And we understand that there are some moral problems in their, in their lives. We're talking to them about what the Bible has to say. When is a good time to tell a couple, you don't have a right to live together because you're living in fornication or you're living in adultery or you're living in homosexuality. I mean, just be up. When is a good time to just tell somebody that? Here's the point. There, there are no good times. Have you ever sat down with somebody and talked to them about what the Bible says? And you have to tell them, look, you can't live like this and be a Christian. What about a young couple? They're living together. They've never been married. Let's just say they have a couple of children. They've never been married. They're good neighbors. They're good people. They want to go to heaven. They think they're doing, they think they're doing right. Who's going to tell them? You're wrong. Is it going to hurt them? I suspect it will. If we withhold the truth of Almighty God because we don't want to hurt them, shame on us. We have to have the courage and conviction to say, look, this is what the Bible teaches. And here's what a lot of people don't understand in our world, and there are a lot of folks in the church don't understand this. When it comes to truth, it is what it is and it is not subject to alteration or change in any form or fashion. We can like it, we can dislike it, but it is what it is. And the bottom line is, this book, what this book says, it's gonna stand, whether I like it or not. I can reject it today, and I can, I can pitch a fit, and I can get upset about, about what it says, but let me tell you this, 
When we talk to people about Jesus, we need to tell them, you will meet this book again and don't think that you won't. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The words that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. In Romans chapter 2, verse 2, Paul said that the judgment of God is according to truth. It doesn't matter if I like it or not. Truth is truth, and truth doesn't change. Does that make sense? I hope it does, because the bottom line is this. We, like Peter, are to be fisher, fishers of men. And in being soul winners, it's not an easy job. Look at the first century. When you look at the Roman Empire and, and you look at the people to whom Paul and Peter and James and John and others preached, do you think that they were dealing with, with moral things that we're not being confronted with today? Absolutely not. They faced the same things. What was their answer? Preach the gospel. Look, it worked in the first century. It'll work today. We just have to have enough faith and get up and go to get the job done. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we're so thankful for this day, for the many blessings that we enjoy in this life. We're thankful for Peter, for the other disciples. We're thankful for their faith, for their commitment, their willingness to preach, to teach, to share your word with others. We ask, Father, that you would give us the courage, the strength that we need to share your word with others. And Lord, we pray that we would proclaim your word with love in our hearts and that we would, that we would do our best to bring others to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On Pentecost Day, Peter preached to a lot of people in the city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that those people who were in Jerusalem were cut or pricked in their hearts. Why was that? Because they heard a divine message. Truth cuts to the heart. And yet, the results can be positive. Because you see, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. There's hope to those who are lost and dying in sin. The people to whom Peter preached and the other apostles, they had been guilty of the death of Jesus, and yet there was hope for them. Some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on that day. They were added to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, why not come to him tonight? Why not come in faith? and obedience. If you're unfaithful to his cause, why not come to him? Why not come home this hour? Let us pray with you and for you and God will abundantly pardon as we stand and sing.